2: I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in.
3: Stocks, they are rallying as we head into the home stretch of a September 2, well, forget. But the big money question for you, has this correction run its course, or will the selling start again as we hear more talk about contested elections, and rising tensions with China. We have got the perfect crew to debate it today. Your investment committee, Joe Terranova, Pete Nigerian, Tiffany McGee, CEO of Momentum Advisors, Institutional Investment Services Group, Bryn Talkington, Managing Partner at Requisite Capital Management, and Kate Moore, BlackRock's head of thematic strategy for the Global Allocation Investment Team. Before we kick it off and go around the... Well, virtual table. Here's how things look right now. And we are not virtually. We are really in the green. Dow Future or Dow up 100, or I should say 1.76%, 476 points right now. The NASDAQ, not up as much as the Dow, but look at the small cap stocks. The Russell 2000 called six the hard way up 222%. Even with Friday's move, we are still coming off four down weeks for stocks, but a pretty lousy month. But now... The S&P 500 is on pace for its best two-day gain since all the way back in June. Did you follow that, Kate Moore? We're literally in a four-week down streak, but at the same time, in the same breath, I now say we're on our best two-day stretch since all the way back in June. The volatility has really grown. What are you expecting ahead? By the way, I'm told there's an election in 36 days.
4: Is it just 36 days, Sully? Uh, It feels like it's going to be any moment uh, at this point. Um, but you make a great point, right? We've had this downdraft in terms of the market and then this rip higher in the last, to so call it, day and a half of trading. And a lot of people are asking the question, you know, what is the real trend? I don't think we can ascertain a real trend from these last two days or even from the last four weeks. There was a lot of consolidation and profit-taking rotation in terms of participation over the last couple weeks. The big point here and the big message for investors is that there's always volatility before an election, and particularly in a year like this where we have so many cross currents between the virus, questions around economic activity, relationships and foreign relationships with other countries. You know, there's so much for an investor, whether it be retail or institutional, to take in that you should expect some volatility going into year end. Now, the good news is, is this volatility can provide amazing opportunities to increase the size of positions in industries and in sectors where you feel like you're going to be able to, you know, own the secular winners. Companies with earnings modes that are digitally transformed um, and that really have the ability to grow their revenue regardless of the economic cycle.
3: Well, I, I tell you what, Joe, it's easy to forget, but in the 15 or so months heading into the 2016 election, the market, as you remember, did squat. I mean, literally, we're like, well, the Dow's up four points today. The market just did nothing for the better part of a year. Why the increased volatility this time around?
2: Well, I think it's it's a collection of uh macro conditions that are impacting the market. I agree with Kate. Yes, it's a lot about the uncertainty surrounding the election. uh, But I also think it's the increase in Chinese-U.S. trade tensions. Let's not forget rising virus cases, both in India and the U.K., um, and also the impact from uh, the fixed income market as it relates to where, where rates might go. So I think it's a collection of these macro headwinds that are impacting the market, uh, yes, today is a very broad-based rally. I believe 95% of the S&P 500 is higher. That's a a very strong number, probably the best number we've had since December of 2018. I think within the Dow itself, there's only two stocks, Merck and Walmart, that are lower for the day. Uh, but there's been a four-week slide. As you indicated, Brian, from 35.88 down to 32.09 on last Thursday, that's a 10.5% slide. And I think how investors now have to be thinking about that is that looking forward, you're still going to have the volatility. So maybe most of the price damage has been done, and now it's about a little bit of we've got to mark some time into the earnings season. To really see if we're going to be able to have a V snapback and go back and challenge that 35.88 again, I don't think we do. I think we trade here between 32.75 and 34 and a quarter. And I think the VIX being higher on a day where the market is so strong is kind of indicative of that. And I'm sure Pete will explain to us the reasoning behind why we see this higher VIX today.
3: Well, well, that's but that's it. It is it is higher. Okay, Pete. I feel like the VIX is the Minnesota Vikings. They're kind of good. And every time you think they're going to break out, they do something dumb. And now they're 0-3. And And, and the VIX is kind of like that, right? It's up. It's at 27. It's not at 12. But it's not acting like we're going to have this major contested election and huge volatility. It's not at 40. How do we read this sort of weird level for the VIX?
5: Well, I think you have to go back to the fact that everybody loves to talk about the VIX, and, and Joe understands very well uh, that it's, it, he doesn't have this thought, but I'm telling you, so many people think that the VIX is the fear index. It is not the fear index. It is a measurement of Correct. expectations going forward, but... Where, the ex- where were we? What kind of movement have we had? We had that monster move on Friday, right? We had 360 points. We went off the lows. We accelerated to the upside. The velocity was unbelievable across the board, whether it was NASDAQ or Dow or whatever. Today, same sort of a reaction, although we're seeing the Dow very much outpace right now, at least, the NASDAQ. So a nice, big, powerful move. We were up 500-plus points. That gives you a close to a 2% move. You know what a 2% move is on the VIX? It's about 32 So the fact that we've moved up a little bit says to me that the volatility is there. It's, it's increasing because the movement that we are seeing warrants that increased volatility. And so I think that uh, my recommendation would be you use that volatility when you can. In other words, oftentimes we talk about different ways to trade the markets. When the volatility is higher, I yeah. tend to be a person who's more apt to be buying stocks and selling premium. And at other times, I, I when the volatility is low, that's when you're buying more and more call options and, and put options and, and using that to your advantage. So just keep an eye on at 27 we start to break out a little bit we were over 30 twice last week two different occasions so it's not it's it's not like we can't possibly go over 30 again we absolutely can we could even go a little bit higher but it's all about you guys are talking about the macro the macro is huge because it is about the virus it's also about the vaccine it's also about the elections it's all of the above so there are a lot of different factors playing in right now to the markets
3: Yeah, there certainly are. And by the way, you went 30 seconds past the bell, the world's loudest text message symbol there as well. Tiffany McGee. What was that? Let's get now into that, because it it is a smorgasbord, really. I heard something. Maybe maybe I'm just going insane because I wake up at 2.50 in the morning. Tiffany McGee, (laughs) when you look at what Pete just mentioned, right, you also have the other things out there. By the way, China, increased tensions with that country as well, perhaps not getting attention it deserves because of, A, the virus, and be everything else that we just talked about. If you had to sort of rank your macro concerns, what are those worries?
0: Yeah, So, so first of all, that was actually me. That was my dad texting me, asking me if I was on TV today. So, yes, Dad, I'm on TV, <laughs> but I just muted it. And she's doing uh, great. Uh, thank Thanks you. For watching, dad. And happy Hope birthday to my mom, box. by the way. <laughs> Thanks. Wow. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, 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 think, I think we've, we, we, we've been talking about all of these um, macro issues that are going on. And first, you know, I, you know, Pete is absolutely right. The VIX is a, a, a kind of like a future. Um, is an indication of, of future expectations. And I don't think that markets have really learned to predict elections yet. I think that we learned Uh, from four years ago when everybody was so sure things were gonna go a certain way. Um, I do think that we see volatility as, um, you know, as every little event during the presidential cycle happens uh, and that that has always happened. But again, we are in this really unprecedented time where we've never been in a global pandemic. We are in that now. Um, We got news last week that it probably won't be until April, 2021 before we get a vaccine in wide distribution. So that's an issue. And then so many Americans are struggling economically you know, our our economy is really struggling and we don't have any hope right now of a stimulus. So where do you go? What are you thinking about? And I think we kind of came out of this um, time where everybody was at home. There are more retail investors getting into the market than ever before. This year, it's about 20% of retail investors. Last year, it was 10%. And so they were at home, um, you know, playing the markets because it was a cool thing to do. And now there's some volatility. And I think, you know, retail investors react to those things in a way that institutional investors don't. And we're seeing some of that go on right now.
3: Yeah. And we we bought back, Brent, you know, First off, happy birthday to your mom. And I, feel, your mom may be a good peg for my question for Bryn, because there's so many things we want to do, but we can't, right? You want to take your mom or dad out for dinner for their birthday, and maybe you just can't, or you just don't want to be around them because they're older and there's risk and whatever. But Bryn, I get this idea when you study history that the Roaring Twenties were not about the war. It was about the end of 1918, which is far worse than this. We all know that. But I wonder if there's going to be sort of this, this rush of spending as we all sort of bust out in 2021. And the market has maybe priced that in already as we all just look to try to book a flight right now, by the way. Flights are incredibly expensive next year on the anticipation of great demand.
6: Yeah, well, I mean, I think, you know, earlier this summer, Satya Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft, had this very memorable quote where he said, you know, we've seen two years of digital transformation in two months. And what what I think when I'm reflecting back, looking at history of this year, but well, we've also seen probably two years of multiple expansion in a lot of names as well. And so um, I really agree with, you know, Joe and Pete especially about I think the markets are range bound right now. I think the highs that we saw the first week of September are probably in for the year. I don't I don't see Nvidia racing back up to 600 um, unless SoftBank starts buying more uh, calls on the stock. But I think that investors need to, you know, settle in. I think the the debate tomorrow night is incredibly important. I think that the expectations for, you know, Joe Biden as a as a debater to hold his own are low. I think if he does better than what's expected, then we'll see if we see some type of, you know, rotation um, whatsoever. Because obviously, there's certain sectors like energy. And you would assume more financial regulation with with the Democrats. And so I think tomorrow night will be probably one of the most um, heavily watched shows or debates in in history. And I think it's somewhat set the the narrative going forward up until the election. But I definitely think this is more of a trader's market right now. And we have to, you know, know what you own, know what catalysts are coming out there before you're just going to continue to buy Zoom, thinking it's going to go up um, and expand multiples after it's already had just like an incredible year already.
3: Well, very quickly, Brent, a follow-up for that on the debate, because Biden's already leading in the polls. Now, we, whatever you think of the polls, I get it. They were wrong. They were really wrong in 2016. A lot of people believe they are wrong now because that shy Trump voter. It sounds like what you're saying is you think the race is tighter than maybe the polls suggest. So if Biden is able to pull it out and have a good debate, he might extend that lead or solidify something. And that, from an investment perspective, you'd maybe have to, you know, sell the the shale companies, things like that.
6: I would hope, right? I'd hope not. We'd rather be buyers of the shale companies, but I think that's just a directive. That as we get closer, I do think it's a close election. I think that um, the Trump voters are a quieter group, and that we'll we'll see what happens. But I do think, from an investor standpoint, you need to be nimble, um, have your core positions. But I do think it's a good environment where you can, you know, trade the names. And also, you have seen definitely an expansion of some of the epicenter names. You know, the airlines continue to make higher lows. And not that they're making higher highs, but higher lows. And so I do see, you're seeing an expansion um, of some of these, we'll call them epicenter names outside of tech. And I do think that if you can hold your nose with a lot of different areas in these epicenter names, that's probably the easiest money to make versus just camping out in tech, thinking that what's worked this year will continue to keep working.
3: I got to correct. Don't hold your nose because we're not supposed to touch our face. There's a mask over the nose. Brent talking to we're going to see you in, this, in a couple seconds. All right. Let's step out of this conversation for a moment, because even with the last two days gains, it's been a pretty lousy month for most stocks. The S&P 500 down more than four percent and the FANG names are down an average of 10 percent in September. So did this September swoon accomplish what market corrections are supposed to do? Let's ask Mike Santoli, who wrote about it. Just that on CNBC.com. Mike, did it accomplish that idea to flush things out, clean things up just a bit?
1: Yeah, Brian, I think we did. A, at least it went far along in that direction, if not completely. I don't think you can ever sort of say, yes, it's complete. Uh, but if you thought coming into September, as most people did, the main hazards or liabilities in this market was really overconfident uh, trader sentiment and positioning and just big tech stocks in particular, big growth stocks that had risen to these kind of gross extremes, gotten uh, overshot to the upside uh, What relative to their trends. I think they have been reset lower in a way you can observe in things like uh, the fund flows out of uh, equity funds in the latest week, in things like surveys and things like a very large short position in NASDAQ futures that has developed really all out of, out of the blue uh, into last week as well. So I do think you've sort of skimmed away a lot of that froth. Uh, at the same time, you haven't seen the market kind of seize up in advance of uh, new economic stress. So you have not seen the credit markets lead stocks lower. They've kind of gotten a little bit ragged, but they're being, you know, actually very strong today. Uh, You've not necessarily seen Treasury yields run to new lows. My point there is that the equity market pullbacks seem mostly about the equity market. Um, I'm definitely not going to oppose the idea that, you know, we're still maybe chopping along here. You can't declare that after two days somehow the low is in and it's back up to the highs because really those big NASDAQ charts look, you know, pretty – disordered at this point, and they look like they'd be tough to get right back up to those highs. Yeah. But just the point being, you've reset sentiment and positioning to a place where the risk-reward is probably better than it was four weeks ago.
3: Mike said totally. Everybody go check out his piece on CBC.com as well. Kate Moore, back to you. What Mike was referring to, something we showed on Worldwide Exchange last week, was these huge short positions, sentiment of trader indicators and stuff like that from the, from the CME. I mean, people were big-time negative. On technology, do you think that most of those hedge funds have been flushed out? They covered, they're happy, they move on to something
4: else? Yeah, I think there's some of that. Look, and and I've I've been in the market long enough to understand that sentiment and positioning are critically important when you're thinking about, you know, investing for the short and even the medium term, helping you time your entry and exit points. And, you know, what Mike was saying, I think, was, you know, made quite a lot of sense, that uh, we've taken some length out of the market. You know, we talked to some of our traders at BlackRock. We'll say we went from maybe a 9 or a 10 in terms of length across retail and institutional to maybe like a 6 or a 7 now. So it's not that people have backed away from equities or backed away from risk or backed away from some of these secular winners like technology um, but have instead just sort of pared back some of those exposures. I really like this environment, and I want to go back to a a point that Bryn was making in terms of uh, multiple expansion this year. We have had a huge amount of multiple expansion this year. Uh, Based, I think, on cross-asset opportunities and what the Fed and fiscal policymakers have done in terms of stimulus, I expect multiples to stay elevated. And in fact, we could see multiples expand even higher, I believe, in some of these secular growth winners into 2021, as we find that some industries and companies are so structurally impaired, they can't catch a bid. So, you know, I'm a bull on the multiple side at this point, even at 22 times forward earnings and, you know, expect that we can even grind a little bit higher um, over the next six months against the next couple months of volatility.
3: Okay, Kate, thank you very much. Well, listen, there, there's a lot that is out there involving the tech trade, a lot of the risks on the tech trade. You've got, of course, tension with China growing as well. Trump administration slapping new sanctions on Chinese chip giant SMIC. That's got an impact as well. By the way, a third of SMIC's suppliers are in the United States and about a fourth of their customers. Customers are located here as well. So, Pete, the fight, this, 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 you know, tension with China is now just going outside of TikTok, social media, and getting into real business. You own Micron. Does it scare you off the semiconductors at all?
5: It doesn't necessarily scare me off, uh, Sully, but I certainly am concerned. I, I, you know, I'm looking at Micron and the reaction it's had today, and it's actually holding up pretty well. Obviously, the markets are sprinting to the upside. And so you'd expect this stock maybe to be a lot higher than it is. But based upon what we're looking at right now, there is some cause for concern. Because of the fact that we just don't know exactly what kind of retaliation that we might exactly see. I mean, we've gone through this before, almost exactly a year ago. But when you look at Micron, yeah, the reason I have concern is about 50% of their revenue does come from China. So that, that's a major issue. On the positive side, however, they really are a much bigger 5G player than most people really fully understand about Micron. And because of that, they are exposed. They are exposed. Matter of fact, there are 60 plus different phones, smartphones out there in China right now with 5G capabilities. So this is good for Micron, but what are they going to do if we start to see any kind of retaliation that's going to be meaningful? That would be bad. So for right now, Sully, I'm holding on, but I am a little bit nervous about that position.
3: Yeah. And Tiffany, you own NVIDIA, but that's about it. And you're not really using that as a pure semiconductor play, are you?
0: Yeah, no, I'm not. I mean, we we were lucky enough to to buy NVIDIA um, uh, a while ago, and we we were just correct. Um, so I, I would really rather be um, be diversified in, in our tech holdings. And so again, I kind of get back to this, this idea of these kind of three buckets that I've created. I like tech, tech adjacent companies and also tech enabler companies. Um, and so I, I really would rather be even in the big six, um, you know, Microsoft, Apple, uh, uh, Facebook, Amazon, and Netflix. Um, you know, we, we did see that little dip and they, in, in addition to leading the market for most of the year, they also led the dip. And, you know, that's OK, because last week they were coming out of that. And so I think we're going to we should definitely expect that going forward. We just had a whole conversation about volatility. Um, but these tech companies of today, I know a lot of people talk about um, kind of compare this uh, to, to uh, 2000. Yeah. But these tech companies of today are highly profitable. They're mature companies. They've got, uh, you know, less uh, debt on their balance sheet. So I'm pretty bullish on them.
3: All right, good stuff there. Let's step out of technology and go to maybe the value trade, guys, because the transport sector, well, it's on a bigger roll than a tractor-trailer truck rolling down a hill for a TV commercial. Check this out. Transport's on pace for a sixth positive month in a row and about 2% away from the recent highs. FedEx is up 17%. This month, recently upgraded at Deutsche Bank with a 318 target. KeyBank also recently upgraded UPS. All right, Bryn, you gotta you you want to buy on a pullback, but you wonder, are we ever going to get a pullback? Would you put new money to work in some of these transport names here, or do you just gotta wait, even though they're on a roll?
6: Well, no, I think I think you definitely want to buy these on a pullback. I mean, it's nice to see. I mean, FedEx and UPS specifically have done so well this year, and I think they finally have some more longer term tailwinds. And so I think we will have volatility. I think markets will sell off again. I think for all the reasons we've already discussed, I think this is once again, a great way to broaden out the portfolio and some of these long term names. Also going into Christmas should give should give those two companies specifically some, if nothing else, sentiment tailwinds, as we know that everyone's going to be clearly ordering online to have things delivered.
3: Yeah, Joe, we focus on FedEx and UPS because they're big names, but you like a name like an Old Dominion Freight Lines even more.
2: That's a small cap transport name, um, and it's taking advantage of the tailwind that's being provided right now domestically in the U.S. with the reopening of a lot of the economies. There was obviously that hard stop, and there's been uh, a significant restart. So I think the IYT, which sits about 1.5% below its all-time high, is probably the most broad way uh, for investors to, to get exposure to what has been the strength of transports. And understand, Brian, transports have been a leading indicator in the recovery for both the economy and for the equity market itself. I think it extends beyond that. I think you could also look at the rails. There's some uh, opportunity there, whether it's for uh, UP, U, uh, Union Pacific or Kansas City Southern. And, and the last piece of this equation ultimately comes back, what happens on Wednesday? Do we believe there's going to be an extension for the federal payroll support towards the airlines? If there is, the setup is probably a favorable one for a name like United Airlines or Delta.
3: All right, good stuff there. Watching Old Dominion Freight Lines. Joe, thank you very much. So what other moves are the traders making all right Tiffany start with you you bought more JP Morgan Chase and Citigroup obviously not scared off by that sort of you know deep dive report last week about allegations of money
7: laundering
0: um, so I don't like that <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm looking at financials as uh, a broader sector uh, as, as a broader sector um, I definitely like cyclicals and, and financials tend to do well here um, and so I but I think that you really do have to be careful. So um, we own City for a while. Um, we own J.P. Morgan. Um, I, in addition to to their diversified revenue stream. I also like um, JP Morgan's um, ESG play with their Advancing Black Pathways program they've been doing for two plus years. Um, Citi, uh, even though it's more so a commercial bank, and I think you have gotta be careful with, um, with buying commercial banks right now, and we've owned it for a while, um, I do like them from an ESG perspective with, uh, they actually just put out um, a report last week on, on um, the racial wealth gap. Wells is a company that uh, Wells Fargo that I've been very vocal about I do not like Um, You know, they are they've been really struggling because they are a commercial bank and they they derive a lot of their uh, revenue from um, From um, the loans and and uh, individuals who are who are struggling right now, but then yeah. you know last they've had a string of scandals from ESG from an ESG perspective, and um, then Charlie Sharp comes out. Sharp comes out last week. Um, we it was it was, an, it was a kind of revealed that in a conference call he says that Wells can't hit their diversity targets because there's a lack of black and brown talent, and so that is, <clears throat> you know I I I use ESG as kind of like a tool to really gain insight yeah. into how management thinks. And I think with those comments, Charlie just told everybody how he thinks.
3: Yeah, Wells Fargo just can't get out of its own way, and management, I guess, can't keep their, their, their shoe out of their, their mouth lately. Stock's down 55% a percent so far this year. Yeah, yeah. They, yeah it's exactly. It's the worst so performing Bryn, you, stock. Like, you like financials? It's the worst. Oh, it's <laughs> terrible. And maybe the most, by the way, maybe the most important stock in the United States right now, just given all the mortgages they hold. Bryn, you like Goldman Sachs.
6: Yeah. So, you know, I bought, when I was on last week, I bought Goldman around 190, 192. And I think it's a great trading stock. I like Goldman. You know, they've got great private equity business, a trading business, investment banking. So I just don't, I think it's like the antithesis of like a city or a more, the bigger banks that have more concern around zero rates. And so I bought Goldman in the low 190s. I think it's a good time to pick it up there. Um, I've traded this before. I think it can get up, you know, longer term into 215s, 220s. I'll probably exit there. And then I also had traded Southwest and I had sold it last week around 42 and, you know, airlines sold off for the millionth time and I bought it back at around 36.50. And so I, I, I always invest or trade stocks i'm happy to own and i think goldman and southwest airlines are wonderful companies but it's a good time to pick it up especially southwest in the in the mid-35s
3: yeah you love love you just want to get it at the the right price around the mid-35s all right we are now going to take a break our big thanks to kate moore blackrock kate great to have you back on halftime report i'm sure we'll see you again soon everybody else is sticking around and folks check out this mystery chart okay this is actually a big oil stock that is down nearly 40% this year. I mean, what oil stocks aren't down 40% this year. But there's a bullish call out on the name today that is pushing the stock higher. We'll tell you the name, the call, and the debate. And as a reminder, as we get back out there, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. Halftime is back right after this.
9: Welcome back, everybody. I'm Sue Herrera. Here's your CNBC News update at this hour. Wildfires continue to destroy homes in California. The so-called Shady Fire is one of several wildfires threatening more than 2,000 structures in the San Francisco Bay Area. Widespread evacuation orders have forced thousands to flee their homes. Britain reporting a fall in new COVID-19 cases as two of the largest cities in Wales are back in lockdown. Government officials say new restrictions are coming to the northeast part of England in response to growing outbreaks. And because it's 2020, here's another thing to worry about during the pandemic, hair loss. Some doctors are pointing to stress as the cause, with a hair loss occurring three to four months after the stressful event. The good news, hair loss of this kind is often temporary with normal locks returning within six to nine months. You were up to date, Brian. It's great to see you. I'll send it back to you.
3: It's good to see you. Yeah, now I'm all stressed out about my hair, though, <laughs> so I love no you, but now I'm like, my God.
9: Well, 2020 just I'm keeps go on the, giving.
3: Oh, it's going to be great. A locust-covered fireball is next. Suhara, thank snow. you very much.
9: Yeah, you got it.
3: I, that's my new band name. Sue. thank you very much. All right, there is a big bullish call on a big oil stock today. Yes, you heard us right. Chevron upgraded to buy a Bank of America, the firm citing attractive risk reward, and the industry's realization that it's got to get smaller and kick cash back to shareholders as well. want to get to Joe, but first, Pete, you, you own Chevron Calls.
5: No, I actually own the stock. Um, so you own the stock? I, there you go. As I look at... Yes, sir. Yeah, I own the stock. I have for a little while now. And, and I, at, at issue is the risk-reward is one of the uh, topics that the analyst is bringing up here in terms of that being favorable. They've made an acquisition. That's favorable as well. Problem is, and I'm saying this as a guy who owns the stock, is We all see the light in front of us, so what is the time frame for Chevron? How much longer does names like Chevron and some of the other big integrated names have before they're under a lot more pressure? I think the one positive has been the move towards natural gas, the move towards the Permian, all the different aspects of where they are going for alternative energy as well. So there are some positives out there. I love the cash flow still, but this is a very, very difficult hold. I'm going to hold for a little while longer, Sully, but I am not expecting a monster upside at this point in time
3: you know, it's interesting, Joe, because California, where Chevron is based, effectively outlawed the sale of gas-powered cars after the year 2035. Chevron, last I'm told, sells gas at gas stations. Uh, But I think the idea that, that Pete was nibbling around is that the new idea in oil and gas is like big tobacco. The realization is you can't grow anymore, get smaller, cut your CapEx, and give that money back to shareholders. And you might actually have an investment thesis as even if you wind a company down over 20 or 30 years.
2: Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And that's where I think Mike Worth and the management team for Chevron have done an excellent job. Um, when I look at the uh, large cap diversified energy name, Chevron is the name. And I've owned ex, ex, uh, Chevron in the past. Um, but Chevron is the one name that really stands out to me going forward as a name that you would own. Uh, Overall, though, for energy right now, Brian, you know this, it it is an incredibly frustrating environment to be an investor in. We talk a lot about the decline in the Nasdaqs in uh, September 2nd, but let's not forget or highlight the fact that energy really has been the leading sector in the four-week decline, down nearly 13%. So people are trying to pick up the laggards today. That's why the XLE is pricing at 3% higher. Uh, Energy faces a tumultuous year coming ahead in 2021, when in Q3 and Q4, you're going to have a lot of debt maturity that's going to have to be uh, met with. And then, Brian, as you know, there is an election. And I do believe that when you look at the sectors in the equity market, energy probably has the most exposure to some form of restrictive regulatory environment if Joe Biden were to win.
3: And by the way, look at this. Devon and WPX reportedly they're going to merge. Devon has a huge amount of operations in New Mexico, which if Biden wins and does what he says he's going to do, banning fracking on federal lands, nobody would get hit more than Devon, which yeah. is maybe why they're doing deals. Anyway, let's get now to Rahel Solomon, who's yeah. got a few other big calls today that we can chew on. Rahel, good to see you.
10: Hi, Brian. Good to see you as well. So let's start with two calls in the social media space from Guggenheim. So Snap gets upgraded to buy from neutral. Target jumps 6 bucks to $28. Now, the analyst behind the call appeared on CNBC this morning and essentially said that they think the winners will keep winning and that Internet companies, even with their strong performance this year, still have areas where they're underappreciated, such as Snap. You can see the stock is up about 4 percent. The firm also initiating coverage of Pinterest with a buy rating. Price target goes to $48. Analysts believe that Pinterest is unique in that its users go to the app with the intent to purchase. That should help with advertising dollars. And the stock has had quite a run. It's up nearly 120 percent this year. And speaking of soaring, take a look at Virgin Galactic, up almost 20 percent. So both Bank of America and Susquehanna are initiating coverage of the stock with a buy at B of A and positive at Susquehanna. Both see the company as an innovator in the early stages of growth that B of A, by the way, calls unparalleled growth. Brian.
3: There we go. Got a lot of interesting names to to talk to, Rahel. Thank you very much. First off, uh, Tiffany, I want to go to you on Pinterest. I, I don't fully understand Pinterest business model, but apparently a lot of other people do and you do enough that you want to own the stock. What makes it attractive?
0: Yeah, so, so first of all, it, it technically is a social media company. And so um, I, I encourage you, if you don't have a Pinterest account to go get one, it's free. Uh, and it really allows users to create these kind of like vision boards of everything they wanna do, right? So if you wanna decorate your house and or if you uh, want some motivational goals, anything. And it really is this community. Um, and so I see it as an alternative to like a Facebook or to some of those other, um, other social media um, uh, platforms really, um, to really help businesses gain share. So it's, it's, it really is, it really does speak to how I purchase things, right? And there, there are a ton of little, little, um, really cool, um, features in, in, in Pinterest that really help, um, connect businesses with their customers. Um, we bought it a long time ago. I loved it. It was really, it's really a great, uh, buy clearly it's done a, it's done a great job. Um, I also like their ESG platform. Um, so yeah, yep. it's a win for me.
3: All right, Pete, you own Virgin Galactic. You also bought more Snap calls.
5: Yeah, Snap, they've been buying calls in there, Sully, for the last month or so. Stock's gone from 21 up towards 26 in a a hurry. And these options just continue to be right. I think the the interesting thing about Virgin Galactic is this is a stock that I bought back in April. I'll give you a good example of what we were talking about at the top of the show, using implied volatility. So it's not always just the volatility index that we talk about all the time, but individual names. So I bought the stock not too far from where it is right now. It was just under 18.5 when I purchased it. And so I've been owning this stock ever since early parts of April, selling calls every single month. Well, I've taken in a little over five and a half dollars in terms of premiums because those implied volatilities there are well over 100. And I've continued to be able to collect. Now, I lost once or twice along the way as well, but my total collection is a little over five and change. So I like that, plus the fact that I'm able to sit and watch the stock as it moves to the upside. Whenever you've got Musk, and and Branson together, I think this is a pretty interesting company to look at. I continue to own it, and I think there is still upside. I'm going to own the stock and still protect myself by selling calls every single month. And my goal would be to continue to do this as long as I own this stock.
3: All right, good stuff there, and great note there on the Musk Branson, we'll call Brusk. All right, up next, the big ETFs to watch <laughs> in today's rally. Bob Pisani is along with that, but first get a check on the S&P sectors as we head to break. Every single one is in the green. Look at that energy. It is leading the way. When's the last time we ever said that? Probably never, by the way. Every stock higher. There you go. Dow up 488. The rally on a Monday rolls on and we're back right after this.
4: And
11: welcome back, Bob Passani with the ETF Edge portion of Halftime Report. It's been a busy week for new issues. There's nearly a dozen coming this week, including direct listings from data management firm Palantir and work management platform Asana. Ahead of that, the IPO ETF hit historic high t- today of 68 percent. Let's talk about that IPO boom and how it's affecting the ETF business with Tim Seymour from Seymour Asset Management. Kim Arthur is also with us from Maine Management. And Tim, 27 IPOs this month, hey, another Dozen, maybe ten this week. The important thing is the IPO business is on fire. Why is it outperforming even in a month where the market is down?
1: There's there's so much liquidity out there, Bob. And if you look at IPOs and how they perform, even over the last few years, you know the first half of 2019 wasn't a great time for IPOs. Uh, and I think if you look at a lot of the IPOs that are rushing to market, they they happen to be in some of the hottest parts of even the new economy. So cloud, uh, in, in terms of uh, virus and 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 a number of the software plays look at snow and and you have uh, zoom you have these companies that are representative of the haves in the world of haves and have nots of the the COVID 19 environment so it's been particularly well timed for a number of these companies in this environment
11: yeah kim that seems to be the obvious case here ipos have sort of caught the COVID wave perfectly uh, we were talking about the ones that have been moving zoom moderna peloton CrowdStrike, all of these are beneficiaries of the work-from-home environment. Uh, Other biotechs are also out there that are coming in the next couple of months. Is the IPO pipeline going to continue to sort of cater to the exact perfect market that would have an up market for the IPO business?
7: Yeah, hey, Bob, thank you. Um, Yeah, I would echo Tim's comment that there is a ton of liquidity, and you've got a lot of companies that are positioned well for where the puck is going whether it's healthcare in the medical delivery or medical innovation space or technology in the digitization or the innovation of it. And remember we've got four hundred and ninety-one unicorns with a trillion five of market cap, so that's three billion on average. So you got a lot in the pipeline and a lot of those are obviously companies like you mentioned, you know, coming up here, Palantir or Airbnb, DoorDash and Wish. Those five, and Asana, those five companies are almost $67 billion in valuation. One thing I would point out, Bob, just to kind of bracket where we are, last year I think there were, call it 160 IPOs, maybe this year there'll be 170, so, in round numbers about 330. The two years sequentially yep. from 99 to 00, there were almost 900, 900. So just to kind of, there's mm-hmm. a lot going on right now, but... Uh, yeah. We've had periods where it's been a lot bigger.
11: Yeah, I would I would note the IPO ETF just hit a $200 million in assets under management, Kim. So, yes, it's not 2000 but it, it certainly is a big wave. And some of the institutional people are clearly starting to pay a little bit of attention here. Thanks very much, guys. And more on these IPO listings and other ETF trends to watch coming up 1 p.m. Eastern time. ETFedge.cnbc.com. will be joined by Deborah Fuhr. She's the founder of ETFGI to talk about these new records in the ETF space. More money keeps pouring in and a big development in China's markets and ETFs. Don't miss that. Back to you, Brian. All right, Bob Bassani. Good to see you, Bob. Thank you very much.
3: All right. Our experts are ready for Ask Halftime. That is next. And you can send in your questions now by video. How cool is that? We'll try to play some of them on the air. Email us at askhalftime.cnbc.com. Halftime returns in 30 seconds. Stick around. All right, the traders now set to answer some of your questions. Bryn, talking in. The first one comes to you, and it comes from Jessica in Florida. Let's listen.
0: Hi, I'm Jessica from Tampa. I'm a long-term investor with a portfolio that consists of 45 well-diversified stocks. And throughout the year, I have added to my position on dips of 10% or
6: more, So when there are numerous stocks falling at the same time, how do I prioritize which ones to add to? Jessica, great question. And I think, you know, congrats to you for having a discipline of buying when stocks are when stocks are down. Um, What I typically do is when stocks are down, I look at my I rank my stocks by conviction and the markets are wrong all the time. So I take advantage of the stocks that I have conviction in that I think the market is mispriced.
3: All right, next up is for Tiffany, and this is Abdul in Ohio, who asks, when should I sell Uber? It's important to note, by the way, that Uber did win its battle to keep its London license today, so the stock has taken off, Tiff. But when should Abdul sell? Into the strength today?
0: Yeah. So thanks for the question, Abdul. And the answer is you don't. Um, I love the news that they've got that they've gotten their their license back in London. Listen, Uber is not a rideshare company. It's a tech delivery company. And so they want to be the company that brings everything to your door. And that's why, you know, with their their Uber Eats business, they were able to um, to to do a little bit, um, you know, well uh, during this pandemic. Um, they, They also bought Postmates and this is why they're doing better than Lyft. So don't sell it.
3: All right, this one's up for Pete. Mike in Palm Beach, Florida wants to know, is Disney a buy?
5: You know, I think it is, uh, Brian, but I think it was a little ahead of itself. And what I mean by that is I own this stock for many, many years, and I did get myself out of it, but now I'm in the options. And, And the reason I want to be there is I feel like I have a lot more comfort right now because I think you've got to be flexible as we go through this pandemic towards the end of the year. So I think towards the early parts of next year, I might consider getting back in it under the right circumstances. But for now, I wanted to shift to something a little more comfortable for me, which is the options themselves.
3: Okay. And Joe Nicholson, in California writes, is Lowe's a buy for the long term? All right, well, we're going to get to Joe hopefully in a bit. Lowe's, that's L-O-W-E-S, by the way, the home improvement retailer. Pete, you got a comment on Lowe's just so we can, we can give our loyal viewers some of what they came for.
5: Absolutely. So Home Depot, great stock. Lowe's, also a great stock. I think with the new management or newer management at Lowe's, they have absolutely turned the corner. And because of that, I think you can own either of these stocks right now. And I think the only thing that would determine which one I would be in at any specific time would be where they are in terms of the PE levels. And I'm going to go with the lower one on that. But I think both are doing and executing in an absolutely amazing way right now, especially on the e-commerce side.
3: Great stuff. All right, Joe. Thank you very much. We'll see Joe in a second. Pete, thanks for picking that up. By the way, how cool is that? Keep your video questions coming and play some of them on the air when we can. You can send it to askhalftime at CNBC.com. There you go. All right, still ahead. Pete's latest trades in unusual activity and a big CNBC reminder on a big CNBC day. Delivering Alpha is back for its 10th year this Wednesday, September 30th. A huge lineup of guests. Virtual, of course, but that's even better. You can attend from anywhere. Still time to register. go to deliveringalpha.com. We're back in two minutes All right, time now for Futures Outlook. Gold is moving higher today, but lower in September, the metal taking a breather after its record rally this year. Joining us now is Bill Baruch, a blue line Futures. All right, 18.45, huge technical level here. You remain bullish after the September
2: swoon. Why, Bill? Well, we predicted the the September swoon, but I'm long gold as a futures trader, as a futures investor, and as a portfolio manager. It's come into the buy zone. What we've had is 18.55, and it's responding. You know, we're seeing the U.S. dollar weaker a little bit here, a big week ahead, a lot of data, and a glimmer of hope that Washington could come together with some fiscal policy ahead of the election. But if you're not in it right now, how can you play it? 1870 is a good area to look to buy today. Get your stop below this low, 1850. You're risking 20 bucks. That's $2,000 in the big contract. Target is $1,900. The setup today is technical, uh, and, and the fact that we're moving out potentially is an outside bullish day, a new low uh, compared to yesterday, compared to Friday, and then moving out above Friday's high right now.
3: All right, you made the gold bugs happy there, Bill Baruch. Blue line of futures. We appreciate it, Bill. Thank you very much. Your final trades on halftime are next.
2: Welcome back to the Halftime Report. Take a look at shares of United Airlines moving higher after the company has announced that it has reached an agreement with its pilots union that will help the union and the airline avoid roughly 3,000 pilots who would have been furloughed on Thursday. Remember, Thursday is when the airline furloughs kick in. It was going to be 16,000 at United. Now it will be down closer to 13,000. We are waiting to find out a final number on Thursday. Total pilot or total furloughs within the airline industry within the next few days. More halftime after this.
3: Got about 20 seconds for final trades. Pete, kick it
5: off. Real quick, United Airlines, I saw some call buying about 20 minutes ago. I bought some calls. Joe. Ice
2: Exchange. Bryn.
6: Alibaba, it in anticipation of the Ant Financial IPO later on next month.
3: Tiffany.
0: IHS Market, they report earnings tomorrow, and I expect good things.
3: You guys are all pros, by the way. Awesome stuff. I'll see you again on Wednesday, by the way, and and another happy birthday to Tiffany's mom. That does it for (laughs) halftime. The exchange begins (laughs) right now.
2: You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC.
0: Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee Governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more